the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Welcome to Education Nation, where we tackle the biggest issues in American education. School is now in session. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Mark Durkin. Well, good evening, and thank you for joining us here on Education Nation. I am your Headmaster and host, Rebecca Hagstrom, and it's a privilege to join you every Saturday evening here on AM 1280 The Patriot. And, of course, I'm joined in studio once again with our wonderful producer and my co-host, Mark Durkin. And another good Saturday evening to you, Rebecca. How are you? I am very good. We're quickly approaching our Christmas season. Here we are, a little less than a week. Christmas holiday, I should say. I know. Yes. Um, I hope that people are still able to get together with some of their family in spite of the whole pandemic, right? Absolutely. Oh, I love the jingle bells. Thank you, John. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here on Education Nation, we have spent considerable time discussing the racial achievement gap that continues to widen here in the state of Minnesota, which, of course, is very disappointing to us and to many people as they seek to try to uh, narrow that gap. But as educators and state leaders seek to do that, to reduce that disparity, Many efforts proposed and implemented center around the idea that education systems are racist, um, that they're structured only for the success of white students. Yes, this has uh, been growing, this discussion, uh, Mm -hmm. for quite some time here now in the state of Minnesota. And when we talk about structured for the success of white students, uh, you have administrators and teachers that are wanting to evaluate their own personal structures for whiteness and also examining any implicit biases that they say they might have and really any attitudes and behaviors of what they would term as Mm anti-blackness. And, you know, on this show, we keep saying this, you know, we we keep discussing uh, racial equity in the classroom, including racial discipline, uh, the 1619 Project, uh, legislation uh, proposing racial balancing and turning over education in Minnesota to the courts. We're going to get into that a little bit yeah. here tonight on this week's yeah, program. Yeah, a couple different cases. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, to really guarantee what they would say is a quality education for all. But perhaps the umbrella for all of these movements and proposals is the critical race theory. Now, we touched on this topic uh, more than a month ago with St. Paul Public School teacher Aaron Benner. We started the mm-hmm. discussion last week with uh, Catherine Kirsten, who is going to be our uh, guest tonight. We want to continue to take this closer look. Yes, exactly. And, of course, joining us then by telephone tonight is Catherine Kirsten. And Catherine is a writer and an attorney. She's a senior policy fellow and founding director at the Center of the American Experiment, having also served as its chair from 1996 to 98. Catherine's also served as a Metro columnist for the Star Tribune from 2005 to 2008, and before that was an opinion columnist for the paper for 17 years. Uh, She's a regular contributor on this show, and Catherine, of course, it's always an honor to have you join us again. So thanks for being here tonight. My pleasure. All right. 
Well, the practice of indoctrination using racial identity politics reared its ugly head right before the start of the school year. And in September, Alpha News Minnesota reported that the Hopkins Public Schools Superintendent Rhoda Mirapiri Reed declared that a system of racism pervades every aspect of our daily existence. I mean, that is a broad statement. Um, every aspect of our daily existence. And that's the Hopkins uh, superintendent. And then Superintendent Sandra Lewandowski of the Intermediate District 287 told her teachers and staff to look for new jobs if they are indifferent to racial equity and anti-racist work. And she promised to integrate her own whiteness and her own um, anti-blackness. And of course, you know, to be able to say that, that you might as well just go find another job if this isn't central. I believe she actually said that if this isn't central to what you think is important in an education, then you can go find a job elsewhere. And uh, again, just to think that that's really the foundation of education um, is, is just shocking to me. So those are two examples and just shows really how prevalent this approach is across Minnesota's K-12 schools. And, of course, these attitudes um, are really the result of the uh, critical race theory training that's taking place in the school districts. So tell us a little bit about that. Um, we we assume it's related to that, but um, would that be your conclusion as well, Catherine, that it is tied to the the training the, of CRT in the districts? Oh, no, no question. Uh, in fact, I, uh, I have uh, written an article for Center of the American Experiments, a uh, journal, Thinking Minnesota, on this very topic, which will be out in January. And I look at a number of examples from around the Twin Cities metro area, talking about um, Hopkins, for example. Uh, uh, the superintendent indicated uh, that all student learning would be restructured around uh, and to eradicate uh, the characteristics of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, uh, just being determined that in the Hopkins junior highs, uh, assessment will not be performed with traditional letter grades anymore. Uh, and, and one staff member told Minnesota Public Radio that grades are linked to, quote, dominant white culture and oh, wow. thus inequitable. Um, uh, the idea is, is also that uh, students, uh, black students, can't turn things in on time. Uh, there are many, many other aspects, supposedly, of black culture uh, that uh, make it impossible for, for uh, black students to, to do well in the school, and uh, essentially a revolution of transformation, unspecified as to what will happen. But well, and to what the end goal is. You know, I, I mean, that's, this is one of the things that I think is one of the biggest blind spots in this whole Absolutely. movement, is what is their end game and what do they really think is going to happen? Um, if you eliminate grades because you or or not eliminate them because they're actually not eliminating them, they're just changing the way they go about them to provide equalization between whites and and black students. Um, so that the colleges aren't going to really have a true understanding of what a, a student's capability is if they know that this is now the policy that schools are using across the nation. Right. So then well, they're, yeah. how are they going to accept students on what basis? And Good question. <laughs> they are themselves, increasingly, colleges dropping 
uh, standardized tests uh, to indicate how well students are likely to perform when they're accepted, not looking at grades, doing this holistically. Uh, I know that uh, university uh, in California, uh, a number, I think, have literally, I know of one medical school, medical mm-hmm. school that has medical dropped school. grades for students. What? Wow. It's honor society. Absolutely. Oh I mean, <laughs> so the colleges themselves nutty. are doing this. At the very same time, they demand um, equal representation in in every profession. Mm-hmm. So how are you going to get an equal proportion of, say, black physicists right. if uh, black students are not graded, are not held to high standards? Mm-hmm. I mean, it is incoherent, and it really fundamentally is about uh, a power grab. Right. Uh, they don't. That that's their agenda. I'm afraid to to in a fanatical way to remake American society mm-hmm. with this racial equity as an excuse, as a vehicle for what they're doing. Which is so interesting to me that there would be so many people willing to be complicit because it's not as though they're all going to have some type of power in the end of this game. Um, you know, not everybody can be in a position of power, even in a Marxist, if that's the end game, you know, um, not everybody is in a position of power. So I find it interesting that so many are going along with this type of thinking because I don't understand what they think the end game is. You know, there might be some who understand the end game, but do, does everyone? You probably well, don't know I either. Think, but I think that for decades, the expectation of reason in our public debates has been declining and, and feelings yes. have taken right. the place. The louder mm-hmm. you yell, the more likely you are to be listen to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people are, are concerned, right? They, they don't know what to say. Parents and mm-hmm. citizens, they, they're afraid of being accused of racism if they object to this. So okay. uh, you know, I, I think we'll, we'll get a better handle on it. But this has really come to major public attention just in the last few mm-hmm. months. And people are still scrambling to understand what all these nice sounding words like anti-racism actually mean. <laughs> Well, let me just interject, too, that this does absolutely nothing to close the achievement gap. And so those that are ultimately hurting are still the students. You know, we talked about, okay, how many uh, physicists are we going to have amongst whites versus, you know, people of color? Okay, Mm -hmm. well, if the achievement gap is not closing and they don't have the education to be able to move into those roles, not only to go to the school to learn it, but to then be Mm -hmm. successful out in the working world, Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's... that's that's a problem. I mean, you're not going to have the qualified people to be able to do those jobs anyway down the road. Which is which is. Oh, go ahead, Catherine. Go ahead. Well, just especially when qualities like hard work are described as characteristics of white supremacy. Right. Uh, yeah. It, 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 none of it makes makes any sense. It doesn't. And you know, I want to just remind our listeners that if they haven't already listened to the podcast we did with um, Aaron Benner, the show with Aaron Benner about a month ago on critical race theory, I would highly encourage them to go back and listen. Because the October 24th and November 7th. Thank you. Yes. And Aaron, Aaron is a black man who worked in the St. Paul Public Schools and saw this at work and tried to speak out against it as a black man and was still not listened to and, in fact, was pushed out of the district as a result. And um, so this is something that I think there is an there's an awful lot of um, black people themselves who are very much opposed to this type of thinking. 
Um, and I think that they need to become more vocal because, yes. of course, it's one thing for us to sit here and say this. It's another Very thing true. for them to speak up for themselves and say, look, we want high expectations for our students and our kids. We want them to get a good education. We want to teach them how to work hard and how to be self-disciplined and how to be successful in life. And I think there's a lot of them out there, and I think they need to come together and and really begin to start speaking up for themselves as well. Yes. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, you are listening to Education Nation here on AM twelve eighty, The Patriot. Where our guest for the second week in a row is Catherine Kirsten, and we are discussing critical race theory and taking a closer look at this controversial theory that has permeated all spheres of society and is certainly wreaking havoc uh, in education here in the United States. Well, according to the District 196 website, Catherine, this is Egan High School, the Egan School District. Uh, Egan High School spent the summer of 2020 actively listening to current and former students, parents and guardians, and members of the community about the ways the high school has failed to serve its students of color. Uh, In fact, the school stated it is predominantly white in a system that is created to support whiteness. So we're, we're hearing this theme now really across the board with many school districts. In fact, the school thanked the community in speaking about how the school can repair the damage, create a space for healing, and not only make the school less racist, but actively anti-racist, where the curriculum, relationships, culture, and policy work will aim to dismantle racism in the school and empower students to dismantle racism after they leave the school. In all, the school has adopted nine anti-racism goals and will audit curriculum for racist content. What does the auditing process look like, and how does the learning structure within a school change when a district audits curriculums? Well, you know, so much of this is big words and sort of baseless, vague promises. Uh, We don't we don't know exactly what it's going to look like there. What we do know. It, it, you can be sure it will look like um, uh, something designed by Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we do know that the Pacific Educational Group uh, does teach something called uh, r- racial auditing, essentially, where uh, they, the school would put together a little team who would go through all the classrooms, go through all the curricula, and uh, you know, assess it for these, these characteristics of mm-hmm. white supremacy. But, you know, again, this is one reason I think it's hard to fight uh, is that there is no there there, except there's <laughs> great destruction. Mm-hmm. We know that. We know that white kids are also taught that they have no real personal agency or ability to to achieve the actions that they intend to achieve because they are taught that their accomplishments, their hard work, essentially are are created by white privilege. So they Mm. have nothing to be proud of, right? Mm. They're also going to harm their their black classmates unintentionally through microaggressions. So again, they can't understand the world on their own. They are, Mm -hmm. they need to turn to social justice activists who alone are the ones who know what justice Mm -hmm. is. And black students are told uh, that, that they're dupes, you know, that everything wrong in their lives is a result of this big shadowy uh, sort of devil like white supremacy. Um, so in the end, um, this is bound, I think, to to fall apart 
but what will take its place? Uh, it, it, I, it, it will not be something that will look much like uh, uh, what we've known American education to be. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And that is, I think that is the concern of many people across the nation is what will American look like, America, America in general, but what will American education look like after all of this? Mm-hmm. You know, just as a quick little tack on to what you were describing in terms of the curriculum auditing, I remember when you came, I think you came to Liberty Classical Academy to speak with, were you there at the same time, Linda, I forgot her last name, yes. but she was a math or science uh-huh. teacher, remember her? Yes. And she, mm-hmm. she, I don't remember which district she was in, but she was saying right here, one of our Twin Cities districts, she, te- she was a science teacher. And Is it Anoka Hennepin? Maybe. And yeah. she, I think she taught physics, maybe, or biology. And, and her curriculum, which she said is a standard fair curriculum for teaching science to the best degree possible, she was told her curriculum was too white and she needed to change it. And the changes that they were making were basically to gut the power of the curriculum so that it was no longer as effective of a curriculum as she knew it needed to be for these kids to be successful in college. And so, as I recall, one thing she was told was that uh, there should be focus on uh, Egyptians and pyramids, uh, you know, in, in, in some kind of attempt, I guess, yes. to, to bring in diverse cultures. But this, this is not <laughs> a hard that. science. Uh, and, you know, Boyle's law and Newton's uh, laws, it, these are, are not right. No, they are not logical. And, and she was very frustrated because she was a very good teacher and she wanted the best for her students. And um, so, yeah, if that's what racial auditing is, this is this is definitely bad for our schools. Um, well, I think many people would say that racism does still exist at some level here in our culture. Um, how does critical race theory actually damage, though, our nation's discussions concerning racism? Well, uh, we we do know that uh, people who have uh, spoken out about this, um, public figures, uh, just thinking about sort of uh, Black Lives Matter, George Floyd taking mm-hmm. a knee, et cetera, uh, have been uh, have been doxed, have mm-hmm. been uh, in some cases uh, silenced. Uh, yeah. we, that, that's a major change. Yeah. That. Um, an attempt to bring reason, to bring evidence-based discussion into this debate is being uh, this attempt to, to silence it because, of course, this is this is castles in the air. This uh, cannot stand up to uh, even even um, sort of you know elementary school level uh, logical analysis, mm-hmm. and so there must be attempts to completely silence opposing points of view, or it'll become clear quickly that the emperor has no clothes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great statement. Uh, Catherine, you know, as we've mentioned several times here over the last two weeks, we've in the past really talked about the New York Times 1619 project. And, mm-hmm. you know, the newspaper's self-proclaimed purpose was to reframe history, you know, convincing Correct. America that, uh, and Americans rather, that our nation's true founding didn't occur in 1776 with the Declaration of Independence from Great Britain, but in 1619 when some 20 slaves came ashore in the Jamestown colony. Now, given that the 1619 Project views America as racist to its core, and again, that's a lot of the same language that we see with critical race theory, how does the project urge Americans to view one another, and what might the future of America look like if this vision spreads its influence across our nation's classrooms? 
Well, of course, it, it is uh, critical theory basically uh, proceeds on the assumption that social life is is a battle between groups that oppress and groups that are victims. So uh, I think you mentioned that at some point in a, in a discussion, recent discussion, Rebecca, mm-hmm. uh, that this this is this is. Uh, Grim, you know. This is there mm-hmm. is no joy. Right. <laughs> in yeah. There's no hope. This vision of life, mm-hmm. uh, and and it it's it is it, it is so uh, so completely contrary to the American notion of individual rights of of hard work and virtuous living, mm-hmm. um, helping people to to leave poverty and become mm-hmm. prosperous and form thriving families. The family is, is a great danger to uh, you know, essentially power, uh, people interested in power, like uh, the, you know, the nihilistic mm-hmm. uh, forces behind uh, what we're seeing today. Mm-hmm. So uh, all, that is, all that they want to see exist is uh, state-generated uh, power uh, that it rides roughshod over over families who want to who don't want their kids to get this in in school. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it, it obviously it's a very very different vision than America mm-hmm. was founded. Mm. So different. Exactly. I mean, I just wonder too. I mean, you know, you're looking at one particular group of people now being demagogued, okay, white folks, to basically crush their morale. And well, I'm really Correct. not worth anything, and I can't contribute anything to the conversation because of my whiteness right. and. Right. And then you see another group of folks, people of color, who are told they can't do anything special either and that they can't learn and that they can't make anything of themselves. And when you have both groups of people that are crushed, mm-hmm. who are those that remain standing calling the shots? It's mm-hmm. the elites. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. So good. Fact, Such a good point. I'm, I'm very uh, much looking forward to the publication of my article yes. because mm-hmm. what I do in this article is to pick up on a comment that Aaron Benner actually made in an interview with me a number of years ago. He said uh, when he went through the racial equity training uh, with the Pacific Educational Group, it was like indoctrination into a cult. Hmm. And that's what we have here. Mm -hmm. What we are seeing is um, undue influence uh, over captive audiences, certainly Mm -hmm. in our schools, both our students and teachers, using um, the, the techniques of Coercive thought control, mm-hmm. and these are techniques that are well known to you know sophisticated marketing people, mm-hmm. etc. Uh, but but these are precisely the techniques that are used to indoctrinate people into cults. And this happens as teachers go through this kind of training and then bring it to their classroom. So basically, what I say in the articles, there are three different stages of this. And the first is to destabilize the identity of the mm-hmm. subject, to, mm-hmm. to undercut, to sow self-doubt, to create more vulnerability to outside influencers. That's what we see with both white and black teachers mm-hmm. and students who are told they don't understand reality, right? They are fa- they have false consciousness. They mm-hmm. have to look to the social justice activists to explain how the world works and what justice really is. Then the second stage, again, that cults use, and this has been done with um, POWs after the Korean War, and it's very well understood by social Mm -hmm. psychologists. The second stage is um, creating a closed system of reality and Mm -hmm. 
doing all you can as the as the power broker to prevent people from questioning it. That's where we see the threats that are being made. That you know you are called yes. a racist if you question this. You you might uh, lose your job mm-hmm. if you know you get out of line as a as a parent, etc. And the final uh, piece is the use of emotional blackmail. Uh, that is. Um, threats that people who disagree will become more and more socially isolated. Uh, mm. And it's well known that the, 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 the punishment that is most feared by most people is the notion of solitary confinement. Yes. Mm-hmm. We are social creatures. The idea that we might be non-persons because we don't embrace this uh, it is really you know, terrifying for many people. So that in, in my article, I describe how that is uh, being used uh, mm-hmm. in our in our school. And and uh, one of the founders of Black Lives Matter trained specifically in in how to do this. Um, uh, Patrice uh, Colors, for example, mm-hmm. with uh, in a school founded by a weather underground uh, terrorist. So, I mean, all kinds of examples of this kind of training. Oh my but goodness. And it's not, it's, it's appalling, really. It is really appalling that we would be living in this country, this, you know, freedom-loving country and having this discussion that is so widespread. Mm-hmm. And uh, the pressure, that this type of training isn't just happening in schools. It is happening in America's large corporations all across yep. um, the, the country. And so, um, like you say, though, it is the training to teach you that you better you better com, you know comply with this type of thought process or you're going to find yourself alone yep. and um yep. and you're the bad guy then and and you don't love people and you're a racist and you're going to be alone and right so um, so social mm. psychologists call this loaded language uh that is language that is coined in order to promote uh certain emotions such as fear uh, or, or anxiety or false uh, sense of guilt. George Orwell wrote about this uh, many times, mm-hmm. you know, that the, the Englishman who wrote 1984. Right. He called it newspeak, mm-hmm. where the word means the opposite of what common sense says it should mean. Mm-hmm. So equity means fairness, right? No. Mm-hmm. It's, <laughs> it's like... Uh, Good point. Know, tr- it's the opposite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wow, that's that's a very good point too. Um, we need to pick up that book, nineteen eighty four, again. We probably haven't yes. read it since high school. If you're like me, <laughs> well, I know we're running out of time here. Very quickly here, Catherine. Um, I wonder if you could just give us a quick update on the Cruz Guzman case. Um, that was a case that was brought before the Minnesota Supreme Court in two thousand eighteen, in which the plaintiffs sought court ordered metro wide racial balancing in public schools. And it was allowed to go forward. Where are things at with that? Right. So that is in settlement talks. Okay. And uh, the one reason the settlement talks have gone on for it so long is uh, the uh, Republican-controlled uh, Minnesota State Senate is a party to this. And mm. any kind of settlement essentially needs to be uh, approved by the, the Senate. I'm sure that those who brought the suit were very hopeful uh, that leadership uh, would pass away from the Republican Party in sure. this election. It mm-hmm. did not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that it, it remains to be seen exactly how that's going to play this. Now, the other factor is, is another recent um, uh, legal uh, focus uh, uh, 
reform that's been proposed um, by uh, Neil Kashkari yes. and yes. Alan Page, mm-hmm, former mm-hmm. Supreme Court Justice Alan yeah. Page, um, they want to amend the Minnesota uh, state constitution to make what they call quality education a fundamental right. right. Which sounds good. Well, yeah, should be opposed. I know exactly. Yeah, but yep. I think the people in the Cruz Guzman suit are waiting to see what happens with the Page Kashkari amendment because if that should should be adopted. Um, it would make the Cruz Guzman uh, plaintiffs much more likely to achieve yeah. uh, some of the things that they have sought. Okay. So okay. it's all kind of on hold at the moment. Okay. Well, and people, again, need to look up and, and educate themselves on that. Kashkar, Paige Kashkari uh, sounds good on the outside, but you need to dig in and see why it is uh, not a good thing for our state. And if our listeners and, are interested, they can go to ednationmn.org and listen to episodes 196 and 200, where we speak at length about the Page Kashkari constitutional amendment proposal. All right. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Catherine and Mark, and have a great night. See you next week.